Hey everyone, this is Cameron, and for Good Friday we had a joint online video service with Door of Hope Southeast, and we got to hear from their lead pastor, Josh White, um, and we have the audio of that here for you now, and so um, without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to Josh. Well, hello, Door of Hope family. It is so good to be with you tonight. If this is your first time to Door of Hope, uh, my name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor of Door of Hope Southeast. On Easter morning, Cam, who is the pastor of Door of Hope Northeast, is going to be joining me. We're going to be teaching together. I'm super excited about that. I'm excited that we can do these things as a church family in a time when we're doing church from our homes. Well, tonight we are here to celebrate Good Friday. I've always said that if we are not talking about Christ and Him crucified, we are not preaching. This needs to continue to be the center of all that we think, all that we say, and all that we do. It's not that the cross is all that there is to the Christian life, but it is the linchpin that holds everything together. Without the cross, there is no Pentecost. Without the cross, the life of Jesus is an impossibility. And so we come back to this beautiful center. As P.T. Forsyth once wrote, Christ is to us just what his cross is. All that Christ was in heaven or on earth was put into what he did there. Christ, I repeat, is to us just what his cross is. You do not understand Christ until you understand his cross. I often say that the Christian life is not a ladder to climb, but it is a cross to die on. We die with Jesus. We are identified with his death that we might enter into the fullness of his resurrection life. I think sadly for many, the image of Jesus on the cross has become so familiar that it's lost its magnetism. Uh, it is ignored because it's not understood and what happens is that we begin to approach it without reverence. But it's not only important that we come to the cross and meditate on what Jesus did for us, for he as the son of God and the son of man, both fully God and fully man, came as the mediator between God and man, the one who on the cross became both the judge and the judged in our place. He is the innocent who became the victim so that we who are victimizers could be declared innocent. He is the one who died for both the victim and the victimizer. That it is in Jesus being lifted up that God is able to draw people to himself in a saving way. And as we meditate upon this work, we also have to consider carefully what Jesus said. His teachings are important, but we forget that he himself spoke from the cross. And I just want to focus in on the first word spoken by Jesus. And it comes from Luke chapter 23, verses 33 through 34. It says that when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him, that is Jesus, and the criminals, one on his right side and one on his left. And Jesus said, and these words are so powerful, so profound, 
that it is worthy for us to meditate. And I pray that it brings us to a place of worship this evening. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This word of forgiveness. I believe that forgiveness is humanity's profoundest need. The cross is the ultimate sign of forgiveness. It reveals the Father's heart. It reveals the blindness of humanity. And it reveals the costliness of forgiveness. I want to share a quote from a book that I read this week. I highly recommend it. It's by Rowan Williams. It's on the cross and resurrection. Uh, and it is so good. And he has this statement about the cross as a symbol of God's freedom to forgive sinners. He says, so the cross is a sign of the transcendent freedom of the love of God. This is a God whose actions and whose reactions to us cannot be dictated by what we do. You can't trap, trick, or force God into behaving against his character. You can do what you like, but God is God. If he wants to love and forgive, then he's going to love and forgive whether you like it or not, because he is free. This is the revelation of the Father's heart. Father, forgive them. Remember, Jesus said, I only speak those things that please the Father. For Jesus to say, Father, forgive them, we are learning the heart of the Father. Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So he's not pleading on our behalf to a reluctant God who is ready to strike us down because of our rebellion. No, he is revealing to the world that this is why the Father sent the Son. This is why the Son has come into the world, to reveal that it is God's heart to show us mercy, to show us grace, to give us what we do not deserve, which is forgiveness. And it's a forgiveness that flows out of the perfect love of God. And it's revealed, as Frederick Buechner calls it, within this work of the cross. And Buechner calls it God's magnificent defeat. Again and again, Scripture reminds us that God is a God of forgiveness. I, I would just ask you to, to think about that. The Father's heart is to forgive you. I think that many really struggle with this idea because so often we bury our guilt and we know that we have violated God's law. We know that we have violated our relationships. There are things that we have done to people. There are regrets and decisions that we make. And so many walk around with so much guilt, so much weight upon them. Like Lady Macbeth, who can't seem to wash the blood off her hands. There's just this overwhelming sense that if people knew really what was going on inside my heart, inside my mind right now, there is no way that God could forgive me. But the fact is, is that the essence of this proclamation is nails are being hammered into the hands of our Lord and Savior as he is being placed upon his throne, which is the cross of Calvary. 
these words are declared. Father, forgive them. I want you to think about what you would say if someone was nailing nails into your hands and feet. I don't think I would be saying, Father, forgive them. I would probably be screaming a bunch of expletives that would, would require me asking for forgiveness later because what I would want is, Father, make them pay for what they are doing to me. For he was innocent. He did not deserve what he was getting. He was absolutely and perfectly innocent. He is the lamb without blemish. Remember in Exodus 34, I think this will help us be reminded of the very nature of God because Jesus wasn't revealing to us uh, a new version of God. Uh, he was revealing to us the same God of the Old Testament, a God who continually revealed that he had a heart of forgiveness and mercy. Think of the, God's own proclamation uh, of who he is to Moses in Exodus 34, verses 5 through 7. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the, uh, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. And remember, we explored this text in great depth when we did the I Am Who I Am series, but the scales tip toward mercy in the scripture. And yes, without the sacrifice of the son, we would not be able to withstand the very presence and the righteous judgment of God. And what we need to remember is that God is a God of forgiveness. In Psalm 65 verse 3, it says, when we were, were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave transgressions. Scripture is graphic in its depiction of God's forgiveness. His forgiveness, his forgiveness is more than simply pardon. It is literally removal. You know what it says in Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Isaiah 38 Verse 17, in your love, you kept me from the pit of destruction. You have put all my sins behind your back. Isaiah 43, 25, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. The vividness of this language emphasizes the completeness of God's forgiveness. When he forgives, our sins are dealt with thoroughly. God chooses in his freedom to see them no more. This is the heart of the Father. The heart of the Father is to forgive. Richard Foster wrote, today the heart of God is an open wound of love. He aches over our distance and preoccupation. He mourns that we do not draw near to him. He grieves that we have forgotten him. He longs for our presence. But we have to begin to believe that when we receive Jesus, we are forgiven. That the sins of the world were absorbed into him who knew no sin. He who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Forgiveness isn't just 
a, a, a hope that we hold out there, it is actually already accomplished. Jesus has worked out our forgiveness. The question is, is will we receive it? Because I believe the enemy's great work is to blind us to the forgiveness that is ours in Jesus. Because when we function from a place of guilt, when we believe that God couldn't possibly forgive me for this, there's no way that he can love me if he knew what really was going on in my heart, if he knew the things that I've done, if, he's knew, if he knew the, the people that I've hurt or the, the things that I've lied about or the things that I have taken that weren't mine. I mean, the list goes on and on. We all struggle with these things that haunt us from our past, decisions that we have made. I didn't come to faith until I was 27. So for me, it was like there was so, it's like I had a whole decade of my 20s to just live a debauched life. There was so much guilt and shame over the, the, the ways that I took advantage of people, the ways that I manipulated uh, people for my own benefit that I remember struggling. I was so convinced that God couldn't possibly forgive me, but so desperate to be with Jesus that I think the first year of my faith, I must have asked Jesus into my heart about a thousand times just because I wanted to make sure that I was really forgiven. But the fact is, is that's not the way that forgiveness works. It's not based upon uh, our willingness to continually plead for him to do something for us and that we have to prove ourselves first before he forgives us. He has forgiven us. And the question is, is will we simply receive it by faith? Faith like little children. Just simply saying yes to the yes that has been declared over us by his perfect work. I, when I asked my dad about his recent prayer to receive Jesus into his life, he said to me, I'm not sure that it stuck. And when I began to probe him on what he meant by that, it was that very same thing. Uh, you know, I keep going back to the same thing, so I must not be truly forgiven. I must not be truly changed. But I want you to know that God's forgiveness is his freedom to do what he wants. And what God wants is to reconcile this world to himself. And there is nothing we can do to stop it. God has pursued my father all the way to the grave and my dad just keeps coming back. It's almost like death cannot, <laughs> cannot get him. Uh, but, and I believe it's because God's not done with him. But as I told my father, his grace, his forgiveness is stickier than our doubts. You are forgiven, not because you deserve it. And there's nothing you can do to earn it. You are forgiven because it is the father's heart. It is his nature to forgive. And this is why Jesus proclaimed those profound words. The first words he spoke on the cross was, Father, forgive them. And what did he say? Because they know not what they do. What does that tell us? That brings me to the second point. Not only do we see the Father's heart in the, in the Son's proclamation, but we also see the blindness of human sin. For they know not what they do. All sin essentially makes us ignorant. But we must remember that ignorance is never innocence, ever. We are without excuse. 
I, we have been going through Romans before coronavirus broke out and turned our world upside down. And we're going to go back to Romans next week. But you remember what it says. It says that for what has been revealed of God has been made known. That even his invisible attributes uh, and his divine Godhead are clearly seen in creation so that we are without excuse. You see, sin is our rebellion against God's rule. It's our rejection of his grace. It's our violation of his law. We are guilty. Every day we break God's heart with the little things that we do, but his heart remains open in a posture of mercy and forgiveness because this is the age of grace. As long as there is breath in our lungs, there is the possibility of right relationship with our creator. And this is because of Jesus's sacrifice, that perfect sacrifice on the cross. Why is the cross so important? Because, it's, because humanity is far more bound than we like to admit. I know that there are tremendous debates around whether or not we have free will or whether or not things are determined. Listen, if things are determined, what we end up doing is making God responsible for sin. And that is a violation of scripture and a violation of, of our understanding of God's very nature. But if we say that it's, there is absolute free will, then it violates something else, which is that you have in your own power and strength the ability to earn your salvation. You can climb the ladder to God in your own effort. I mean, this is the classic uh, spirit of our age, uh, this secular age, this individualistic age that has built itself upon the great lie that you can be your own God. And we make horrible gods. And because of our sin, what that means is that we are responsible for our choices, but we are incapable of making good choices because we are blind to our rebellion. I think even for Christians, one of the great dilemmas that we face is that we've been confronted with the truth of who Jesus is. We've put our faith in him and we begin to clean up our lives. We begin to live differently. We, we, we start doing things differently. I mean, I remember when I came to faith, I, I, stopped, I stopped swearing. I started being more responsible as a, as a husband. I, I started working. My work ethic got better. I, I, I tried to be more caring about people. But it, it's easy to begin to believe, oh, man, I'm, I'm doing it now. Now I am, I am showing God uh, that I'm worth saving. Now I am, I'm helping God somehow in my salvation. Listen, this is where sin blinds us. Because as I have grown in my relationship in Christ, what I have found is that the, the closer I get to Jesus, the more acutely I feel the unbelievable distance between my character and his what I feel each day as I am confronted with my own sinfulness, I don't even believe that we can truly know what sin is until we have been born again. 
we can know that we have that we we can feel this sense of guilt but it's hard for us often to even define what that means when i came to jesus i didn't i wasn't aware of all the ways that i was violating his character and his nature i just knew that i was lost and i felt this overwhelming sense of longing for something that i wasn't experiencing and shame but i couldn't actually determine what was at the root of those things i just needed someone to save me i definitely wasn't looking for a cool jesus i just needed a savior and i gave my i put my faith in jesus and over time what he has begun to expose as he draws near to me in love his love becomes a revelation of the compromise in my own heart and in this age of grace in this in between period in which we go from the 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 cross resurrection ascension to the hope of Christ's return his literal return to set right all that is wrong in this world we are in the age of grace we are to be an embodiment of the kingdom that is coming and and in this time there is this reality that we have been saved and that in Christ uh, there is we are now perfected in the son but we also know that the old man the old woman that has died with Jesus has the uncanny ability to continually resurrect and that is why we need a continual return to the good death the surrender of our lives at the foot of the cross to die again and again to the lie of what god never intended that we might cast ourselves in dependence upon jesus that he might be able to work in and through us in spite of that mixture it is a slow transformation but it is a transformation it's a beautiful thing when we come to realize that God's forgiveness is an unstoppable force in Jesus but the more we accept that forgiveness and the more we come into the light that light will continue to reveal blind spots in our lives until we have received that sinless creation that awaits us uh which we will talk about in fullness on Easter morning but here is the problem the heart of the problem is always the problem of the heart we are blind to our brokenness we are masters of creating scapegoats in fact uh, rene girard once said that the universe is swarming with scapegoats it's the essence it's the primordial uh, proclamation from the garden this woman whom you gave me it's her fault no this is the blindness of humanity and what jesus says is listen father forgive them because they don't even know what they're doing they don't even know that they're guilty and this is why we are not that free we are more bound because of sin i always call it limited freedom <laughs> it's and the only real freedom is a freedom that is found in the son and this is why we need Jesus and why we need his forgiveness it is the son who has the ability to set us free but it requires his 
entrance into our brokenness. That is why the gospel is down to earth. It is God come down to us. It is not us climbing our way up to him. We are bound by sin. We are impotent in our ability to save ourselves. We are often unaware of the ways that we are violating God's law on a daily basis. And this is why we need every single day grace. It's what we need and it's what the world needs. God is holy and he will not lower his standards of righteousness because we are ignorant of his of our mistakes. Our ignorance does not minimize the enormity of our guilt. Listen, friends, we have no excuse. God has spoken and by his word, we will be judged. And this is why we surrender to the judge who is judged in our place. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, that is Adam, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. We are told that now salvation has come to us through the new man, Jesus, the firstborn over a new creation, the mediator between God and man, the one who is God and man fully. Oh, the gospel is so beautiful. The fact of the matter is none of us could really survive close examination apart from the forgiveness that comes to us through Jesus. God is free to forgive, which means that it is an unstoppable force. Thank God that he has entered into our sin and taken it into himself. Here we see, not only do we see the heart of the Father and the blindness of humanity, but finally we see the costliness of this forgiveness. It says, there they crucified him. I want you to think about that. The one who is the resurrection and the life. The one who is the word, the logos. The holy creator of the universe. The one who spoke in the universe, leapt into existence. That same one tasted death for us. Took hell into himself for us. He who knew no sin, became sin. The costliness of forgiveness. For we find Jesus identifying with broken humanity for the request is made in the midst of his total anguish. Father, he's already been beaten almost to the point of death. And yet, as nails are being hammered in, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Oswald Chambers once wrote, Beware of the pleasant view of the fatherhood of God. God is so kind and loving that of course he will forgive us. This is a, sen this is a sentiment that has no place whatsoever in the New Testament. The only ground on which God can forgive us is by the tragedy of the cross of Christ. This is not building this false picture that the Son is somehow between us rebellious kids and angry dad. The cross is a picture where God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our working out our salvation, the Father grieving the Son, turning his face away from the Son, 
uh, the, the spirit in the midst of the thing. Jesus experiencing the frailty of human weakness, but without fail. His ability to take our sin all the way to the end. The entire Godhead suffered in the cross. I think that we must be reminded again and again of this. All forgiveness is suffering. God suffers because of our sin. I mean, why would we be told not to grieve the Holy Spirit unless sin did what? Grieved him. It breaks his heart. All forgiveness is suffering, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, because evil toward us can only be dealt with in two ways. And listen, we live in an age of victimization. Victimization essentially says this, that, that, that I am a victim and therefore you must pay. But in order to make someone pay, you have to remain a victim. But Jesus creates a new way for us. Because evil toward us can only be dealt with in these two ways. Make the perpetrator pay or we can forgive. The debt is always owed when a wrong is committed. The reality is that someone must suffer. The sin, the wrong can either be absorbed or you can make the other suffer for the sin that they have committed. God can either judge us and we suffer or forgive us and he suffers. And he chose to suffer so that he could forgive. This is his freedom. This is why Jesus said in anticipation of his death in Matthew 26, verse 28, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. His death for our forgiveness. He became forgiveness in the flesh. The promise of forgiveness was connected with the act of the cross. This is love stooping down. He thought of you. He prayed for you when he was hanging on the tree. Father, forgive them is a prayer that he prayed for you. And it is a prayer that the Father proclaims to the Son. Amen. Let it be so. Father, forgive them. Because of you, my son, they are forgiven. Uh, Listen, no matter how deep of a hole you may find yourself in, I promise you this, Jesus' love goes deeper still. This is why the Apostles' Creed says that he descended into hell to set the captives free. I believe he has descended into the hell of our brokenness and rebellion to set us free. And he sets us free by offering us forgiveness. Will you say yes to his yes? So how do we enter in to this forgiveness? We need to understand that God forgives on the basis of the son's perfect work. And what we are told in scripture, it says that that we are to be a people that repent. Um, Now, repentance is not uh, repentance is not this guilty conscience. Repentance is actually a change of mind. It's driven by God's goodness toward us. It's when we see the beauty of God's love, his willingness to die for us, his willingness to take our brokenness into himself. It says that the kindness of God leads us to repentance. Repentance and faith are everywhere demanded in scripture. 
This is the power of recovery programs. You can't go into an AA meeting and experience any kind of healing for addiction unless you begin at that first step, the step of recognizing that you cannot save yourself, that you need help. That's the first step. It's the honesty that, that says, I am lost, I need help, I cannot save myself. We enter into this forgiveness. That's what repentance is. Repentance is our release of control. It's the change of direction, a change of mind about who's going to be Lord in our lives. Our Lord's prayer meant this. Open their eyes, Father, that they may see their sin. Bring them to a knowledge of holy love for them, that your kindness might bring them to repentance. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter himself prayed on the great day of Pentecost, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Forgiveness isn't something you earn. Forgiveness is something you receive by faith. The willingness to continue to confess our sin reminds us that sin leaves the body through the mouth and it continually puts us in a place of humility. It reminds us again and again when we ask God to forgive us even though we are forgiven, what we are doing is being reminded again and again that we need Him, that without Him we cannot live this life we would be lost. God commands the forgiven to forgive. And this is the only appropriate place where we should land. Jesus said in Matthew 6, verses 14 through 15, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will will not forgive your sins. The unforgiving Christian becomes a contradiction when they refuse to forgive. Forgiveness is for us our gospel as well as our ethic. Ephesians forces be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. I think this is one of the reasons why people struggle with experiencing forgiveness, the forgiveness that is actually happened through the work of the cross, because we refuse to give the forgiveness that we ourselves have received. And, and when we do that, we short circuit the power of the Spirit in our lives. We are called to be conduits of God's forgiving reality. We are called to be conduits of His grace, that one-way love that says, I love you not because of anything you have done. I love you because it's my nature to love. And we can't produce that in ourselves. But we need to remember that God's love is elective. He chooses to love sinners in their sin. It's also holy. He's not content to leave us there. 
but it is finally creative that he is able to create in us what was not there before, which is the capacity to be carriers of that love and that forgiveness to others. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. This is the great proclamation of Ephesians 1.7. This is the gospel, friends. When Jesus said, Father, forgive them, he was revealing the Father's heart. When he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, he was revealing humanity's blindness to its brokenness. When he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, he was revealing in that moment the costliness of the forgiveness that is ours in him because he was proclaiming those words as he was being murdered for things that he never did, for he was innocent. He is the lamb slain, the lamb without blemish, slain before the foundation of the world. I wanna just close with something really personal on this Good Friday. As we think about the forgiveness that God has granted to us through the sacrifice of his son, I just wanna ask you, are you experiencing that forgiveness in your life? Have you invited Jesus into your life? Have you, have you prayed, Lord, come into my life, forgive me of my sins because forgiveness has been accomplished on the cross. Pray those words, ask Jesus to put his Holy Spirit into your heart. If you've never put your trust in him, he is our forgiveness. He is our salvation. He is our peace, our shalom. And, and I would simply say this, for those of you who have put your trust in Jesus, but you're still struggling with guilt, and, and maybe there's something that's disrupted your ability to experience that forgiveness. And, and I know for myself that there, there was a season where I was really struggling to believe that I was forgiven. And it was because God had showed me something really profound and that is that there were people that I had not forgiven. And so I was creating a blockage to the grace that God was wanting me to experience. I recently, uh, in working on this book that I'm writing, I wrote a, a letter to my, to my father uh, called Elective Love. And I wanna just share this with you because I just want to, you to be thinking about this. Is there someone that you've not forgiven? Maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your kids, maybe it's your mom, maybe it's your dad, maybe it's your coworker, maybe it's me. <laughs> uh, whatever it might be, we as followers of Jesus cannot say we are forgiven and withhold forgiveness. And, and, and this is something that God revealed to me and I think that this little short letter says it best. I wrote these words. Dad, my life has been haunted by your absence and often tormented by your presence. I have barely known you, but somehow we know each other. You never chose me or my brother. I have come to the conclusion that something broken and buried deep within your constitution has made that choice an impossibility. But then again, I have 
for much of my life repeated the same pattern and chose to return the unchoice. How is it that a man I did not grow up with could imprint upon my soul so much of his own temperament? I can't escape seeing my face in yours, no matter how weathered or worn out it is, and nor do I want to. Yes, here in your tired twilight, we have discovered our need for one another. You didn't choose me, but I know you love me in your own broken way, and I you. I forgive you. Will you forgive me? Dad, I can feel the logic of what theologians call election being played out in our dysfunctional exchanges. God's love is indeed elective. He chooses to love sinners in their sin. He has chosen to bring us together. He has chosen me to be one of the conduits of grace by which he is choosing to pursue you all the way to the grave. Jesus has chosen to remind me again and again through our seemingly impossible relationship that faith in him cannot exclude faith for you. I can't say I love him and not extend love to you or hope in him and not hold out hope for you. And besides, if we are honest, what am I or any of us but broken, faithless, unlovely, most, if not all of the time? And yet on your worst day, God, or the big fella, as you like to call him, is crazy about you. Jesus has forgiven you. Receive his forgiveness. Give away his forgiveness. Be conduits of grace. I love you guys so much. I know this is a difficult time. I know the coronavirus has taken jobs away from many of you watching. I know the coronavirus has caused illness in some of your families. But I just want you to know that this will come and go. Jesus is on the throne. This is the time of grace. This is the time of witness. This is the time where we can ask ourselves the question, what really is God in our lives? Is our hope in the things of this world? Is our hope in our physical health? Is our hope in our material possessions? Or is our hope in the King who said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He loves you. We love you. And we will push through this, I pray, closer to Jesus than ever.